Hello, Cardac Radio. It's Sunday night, at least my time it is. Welcome everyone all around the world. It is March 8th, Sunday. We are doing our regular Sunday Cardac Radio and Cardac Facebook page uh, live streaming. Now, Cardac Radio, what we do, and for people on the Cardac group, Facebook group, we load this this video up to YouTube and BitChute and also BitTubes. And so therefore you can always watch this afterwards. So today we're talking about chapter 13. Do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And this is of course in Alan Kardec's, his third book, The Gospel According to Spiritism. And this is a, uh, great book to read. It tells you many things about what Jesus said uh, as reported by his disciples in the New Testament and really what was meant by that. And this is, of course, Alan Kardec codified Spiritism by posing 1,019 questions. It's the 1,019 questions and the answers and some commentary are all in the Spirit's book, which is the first of his books, which is really the, the third revelation. He codified that. He, he's not a medium. He didn't write the answers. He gave questions in different mediums and different geographical areas throughout Europe. And if they had the same or similar answers, then only then would he put them in the book. So it's a very scientific and rigorous way of doing things. Although you can say, wait, well, you're still talking to spirits, right? But this is why probably people are here listening because for some reason, you know that there is something more than what the eye. You know that there is another world out there. There is a higher purpose than for us to go through our culture, buy as much things as possible, get in debt, and you know, keep consuming, and then you're dead and you're gone. Right? This is what our modern culture tells us actually happens. Well, that is not true. People who are watching this program or watching other programs understand that there's more. There's more than what meets the eye. The earth is not just, we're not just crass materialism and we're just not carbon-based life forms that, you know, sprout up out of just the random DNA of our parents. We have a mission on earth and that is to be a better spirit and we are immortal. Spiritism tells us we are immortal spirits. But let's get back to Alan Kardec's The Gospel According to Spiritism. And today we are talking about chapter 13. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So I'm going to quote you kind of where they took this from. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Take heed that ye do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but when thou alms, which means give charity, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that I am that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which theus in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, and then in the next verse that was uh, quoted is Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. 
When he came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, See, thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for the testimony unto them. So even Jesus, you know, Jesus, of course, as pure as he is, he followed his own advice, unlike so many of us. And so what he's telling us is when we give, give freely, not just to get back, you know, where people think we're great people. There's a good, uh, I think a whole chapter by, um, by uh, Swedenberg and talking about, you know, why people give charity and there's some people give charity and do good things because of it will give them power in the future right so there's also that he also says exactly as um, the new testament says don't give just so everyone thinks you're a great person and so that's another you know so swedenberg said that when you when you give you give to help a person not to help yourself in any way and that really is, you know, so even Swedenberg, even before Ellen Kardec came, you know, spotted these things. It's what is, what is our motivation for doing something good? If we're doing something good because we want to say, oh, this guy is good. And, you know, now that should not be your primary motivation. Now, I know everybody thinks of that at some point in, when they do something for somebody, they go, oh, I did something good. And, you know, I hope that person appreciates it or something like that. That's, that's normal. That's normal thinking. Don't beat yourself up over that. I do it too. Um, but what you don't do is go tell everybody, look, I gave this person this one. This guy was just a bum in the street and I gave him a leg up, right? No, that's, that's not how you do that. So it's, it's okay to think somewhat prideful of yourself because, you know, the spirits book says we should we should you know pride is one of the our you know great things we need to fight but there's also even they go through even swedenberg tells us that there's and the the spirits that talk to the reverend zivao and say you know that you've got to have pride in doing a good job right you need pride and when you when you do something good there's nothing wrong to being proud of yourself and patting yourself on the back and using that as a positive reinforcement to keep doing well. So you don't have to be divorced of everything saying, I'm just a worthless worm, uh, whatever you do. No, no you, need to, you need to put everything in balance. So this is me tell you what Alan Kardec said. There is great merit in doing good without ostentation, but it is of even greater merit to hide the hand that gives. This is an indisputable mark of great moral superiority, since in order to regard things from a higher level than the multitude, it is necessary to be able to disregard the present life and, and identify oneself with the future. In a word, to place oneself above humanity so as be, to be able to renounce the satisfaction that comes from the recognition of one's fellow's creatures and await the approval of God. Those who prefer the approval of mankind prove they put more faith in them than in God and, the, and value the present life more than the future one. 
If they say anything the contrary, then they act as if they do not believe in what they themselves are saying. So let's break this down because this is a very interesting point. She's saying, Alan Kardec is saying, when you help people, you help people because you're trying to, you're, you're trying to show that you, you look at things in a greater uh, span of time, right? Because there's no time in the spirit world. So everyone goes through many, many lives. And what you're looking at that is that you're helping this one person a little bit to help their trek on the upward path to become a pure spirit. And you know, now this is not, you know, you know, you have some pride in what you, you did is that you know that this will be uh, helpful to God and Jesus's plan to raise up the spirits on earth. And of course, any other planet you have to be on, on earth to make the planet a planet of regeneration and to make these people more mature souls. Hopefully the good that you, you did or will be going to do will help, you know, is, is this help that person just make that one little progress. It may not do anything. That's okay. You try. That's in itself. That's all that has to happen. It's just like building a beach, right? It's a one little grain of sand at a time. So let me carry on with what Alan Kardec said. How many there are who only give with the expectancy that the one who has received will shout it to all sides? How many there are who publicly give large sums of money, but who nevertheless would not give a penny if the fact were to be hidden? Boy, let me stop right there. Um, we've seen that all over time. I mean, how many politicians have we seen that? We're going to help all these people. It's like, well, no, you took money from this group to give that group to buy yourself votes. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not doing good. And that is, that is for your own, that is for your own benefit. And in fact, the people you may think you're helping needed these, you know, probably could, yeah, maybe not, maybe so, but you know, are, are you making those people dependent on you forever? Eh, that's not good. Spirit world wants us to work for what we're doing. People need help. There's nothing wrong in that, but just to kind of give you an example, that type of person who just, and then again, you'll see another type. It's like a corporation that go, we've been through and we, we help all these disadvantaged people. Well, are they hiding what they're doing? No, they're, they're doing that to give themselves free publicity. Will that organization, because even organizations have, have, paths that are regulated by the spirit world and they have credits and debits too. Will that organization get credit for that? No, I don't think so. They may a little bit because they try to do something, but it's mostly, it's mostly for their own self. It's, it's for them to look like they give to the community. And I've been part of those organizations where they say, look how we give to the community. We help these people. And then at the same time, they're laying off 200 people because they could find you know, a, a place to put it overseas cheaper. And so they fired all these, you know, all these other people. So yeah, they may be helping, maybe helping this one group in a, in an inner city, but they just laid off, you know, 10 times more. <laughs> I mean, so that's how it works. So no, that's not what, you know, means by, by giving. And this, of course, this is 
Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So let me carry on to what uh, Alan Kardec said. This is why Jesus declared, those who do good ostensibly have already received their recompense. recompense sorry. Indeed, those who seek their glorification on earth through the good they do have already paid themselves. Very true words. God owes them nothing more. The only thing left is punishment for their pride. So, as usual, Alan Kardec just puts everything in a couple sentences. He's very succinct. You know, he's a very good writer. Um, and he says, yeah, well, okay, you've done that. You've gotten all this wonderful publicity. People think you're great. You've already paid yourself. God owes you nothing. You did something. You got recompense for it. Very succinct logic. So then Alan Kardec goes on, let not your right hand know what your left hand does is an image which admirably characterizes modest benefits. But if there is true modesty, then there is also false modesty, a mere imitation of, modest, of modesty. There are certain people who hide the hand that gives, but take great care to leave a small piece showing why they look about them to see if anyone has seen them trying to hide it. This is a shameful, a parody of Christ's maxim. If prideful benefactors are despised by mankind, what then must they be before God? These two have already received their recompense on earth. They are seen and are satisfied by this fact. That is all they will have. So then, what recompense will there be for the person who causes their benefits to weigh heavily, heavily on their shoulders of the receiver, who demands at all costs recognition for the recompense, who makes their position felt by extolling the cost of the sacrifice they have made, Oh, here, there is not even earthly recompense, seeing that this person finds themselves deprived of the pleasing satisfaction of hearing their name blessed. This is the first punishment for their pride. The tears they dried in benefit of their own pride, instead of rising to heaven, will fall back upon the afflicted heart and cause it to ulcerate. For the good that was practiced there will be no reward because it was deplored and all the benefit that is deplored is counterfeit and so has no value. So again, he's telling us if we do things because we want people to see us and to think we're really good people, which, you know, we see that all the time. We see that by all this, you know, false virtue signaling, you know, you know, Hollywood saying, look at me, you know, I'm, I'm helping this person, you know, film me while I'm doing this. Well, and of course, then there's also many people who do things very quietly. And I know some who have done that in there, but they're famous people. But they don't say, look at me. They just go about their business, use the money they've been given by God and their you know, fame and recognition, and they give things quietly. Now, that doesn't say that sometimes people give their fame the fame, the good causes, and that's nothing wrong in that because you're helping someone. And so there's a lot of that happening too. So I'm not trying to say that that is negative at all. It's actually very good. But you know, there's people that, you know, I guess our modern, in our modern, modern words, it's, it's virtue signaling, which is, um, is really counterproductive. So, Alan Kardec, uh, carries on. I'll quote some more. 
when benef when benefits beneficence sorry is practiced without ostentation it is doubly meritorious meritorious apart from material charity there is also moral charity seeing that this protects the susceptibility of the beneficiary so enabling them to receive a benefit without feeling resentment from a loss of self-respect. This safeguards human dignity since there are those who will accept a job but refuse alms. Now, depending on the manner in which it is done, converting work into money can mean humiliating the receiver, and there is always pride and evil in the act of humiliating another. On the other hand, true charity is delicate and inventive in disguising a benefit, avoiding even a simple appearance which may cause hurt, given that all moral friction increases suffering originating from necessity. Therefore, the true giver of charity will find tender, affectionate words which will place the receiver at ease, especially in the presence of the benefactor, whereas prideful charity will crush the receiver. Real generosity acquires total sublimity when the benefactor, inverting the parts, find a way of placing himself in the position of being the one who is indebted when facing the person whom they are helping. This is what is meant by the words, let not your left hand know what your right hand does. So, now we'll talk about hidden misfortunes, as Alan Kardec says. So what he talks about hidden misfortunes, he says that when great calamities occur, charity is filled with emotion, generous impulses are seen on all sides in the repairing of these disasters. But apart of, from these general disasters, there are millions of private catastrophes which go unnoticed, for there are those who lie on beds of suffering without complaining. These discreet and hidden misfortunes are the ones with true generosity knows how to discover without even waiting to be asked for help. So it goes on. I think this one is written by a spirit, but I don't know who, what the name of the spirit is because I've read this one before. Well, let me find the name of the spirit who is writing this whole, whole one. Oh, I don't see the name, but... I don't think this was written by Alan Kardec, but it's a, it's a good one. And so he says, this is a discreet and hidden misfortunes. So then he goes on to say, who is that woman with a distinctive air, simply dressed, though well cared for, and who is accompanied by an equally modestly dressed young girl? They enter a sordid looking house where the lady is obviously well known and because they are greeted with respect as they enter. Where is she going? up to the garret where a mother lies surrounded by her many children. On their arrival, happiness bursts forth upon their thin faces. This is because a woman has come to soothe their pains. She has brought everything they need, tempered with gentle and consoling words, which allows her protégés, who are not professional beggars, to accept these benefits without blushing. The father is in the hospital, and while he is there, the mother is unable to provide the necessities of life with her work. And I think, and this is really, you know, and this you read about a lot during when people would go through, and this is, happens a lot, you know, years past, with the well-off people would bring baskets. It's kind of like here in Brazil, it's just the basica, basica where they people give people rice and 
oil, cooking oil and beans and help people. And I think this is even going to be even more important when there's this, you know, this kind of this pandemic going on and people are sick and they can't go to work because a lot of people in now is, you know, if they don't go to work, they don't get paid or they're afraid if they don't go to work, they'll get fired, which I, you know, you see that a lot of that. So people, people will probably in the near future need the same type of quiet help. And so if they have someone at home that needs being looked after, help them, help them whatever way you can. And these are always good. And this is where I think charity is the best. And this is what uh, my wife and I try to do is we don't really give to organizations. We, we look for people and we help those people. Now, do we do good all the time? Do we make mistakes? Do we sometimes give money? you know, the people um, by mistake who don't deserve it. Yes. In fact, you know, the other day we were in front of a supermarket and this guy says, can I have, you know, $5 to go, you know, get something to eat at the supermarket. She goes, oh, okay. And she gave money. Then he, we were outside and he, he went to the supermarket and then he, he, we kind of walked a bit and then we saw him walk right, right out, right? He didn't, he didn't buy anything. He just got money from us. But that's okay. That happens all the time. Uh, in fact, one time a friend of mine, uh, he'll buy food for people on the street. And he goes and he, he, you know, this woman says, you know, can you help give me some money for food? And he goes, no, I have food right here. She goes, no, I don't want it. And then the lady behind us who was walking, she goes, she was pretty funny. She goes, well, the correct response is thank you. And uh, so, you know, so those people out there, they just want money. Or they're, you know, God bless them, right? They fall into a hole. It's their alcohol or drug problem. And they just want money for that. So, and I don't blame anyone. And I don't think uh, the spirit world says you have to give money to people to help them on their addiction. I'm sorry, but, you know, sometimes people need to pay the price of their decisions. And that is a good learning uh, environment for them, right? They will learn. And maybe that's why, you know, my wife and I, we, you know, we, we never smoked. We, uh, well, I tried once or twice in high school that I thought it was horrible. And then we drink very, very little. So never was interested in, in that type of thing. And that's probably because we have both been at some time or the other on the street, like those poor people addicted to something. And, you know, they're learning the same lesson we did. This is what the great benefit of spiritism says, is that when you see people that just have dug themselves a hole, you know, God, <laughs> it's just so sad. And you see that all around. And, you know, you, you, you try and understand that most probably, you know, maybe not always, but you've been there too, not in this life, but in a previous life. And now that is why you completely understand you're not going to get yourself into that trap. Very important. So, you know, give yourself a little prayer. Say, you know, I hope your trial uh, gets a little bit better for you and everything will be okay. And that's the nice thing to do. Is, and it also gives you practice of thinking good thoughts for people. And which is very important, right? Because as I said many times before, why are we on this earth? We're, we're on this earth to improve our character and our personality. 
And it doesn't mean just by keeping our mouth shut. It really means by rewiring how we think. Because when we go, when we leave this cocoon, all we have is our is our brain, which is gonna which is gonna go to a much better encapsulated, you know, logical area than our spirit brain, which is much more powerful than our physical brain, which is kind of, you know, governed, you know, down to the to the smallest idling power to just, you know, make us just barely sufficient to live on this planet so we can affect our character and our personality. Intellectually, it's not that important, right? Don't, don't feel bad if you're not the sharpest stick in, in the world like me, right? I'm not, it, it's, it, this is not why you're on earth. Now there's people who are very smart on earth and a lot of them help the whole planet by their inventions and that was all planned out by the spirit world. But really for the majority of us, if we do our daily, our daily work, we live honorably, we're charitable, we're fraternal, we're trying to make ourselves a better person. Really, that is the main thing. It's not accumulating wealth. It's not, it's not, you know, publishing, you know, scientific papers. That's not important. Some people it is, right? And it's important for the whole uh, track of earth going up. But for most people, it's really changing yourself. So let me go on to the next. So let's go with this one. This is the widow's might. And this was in Luke chapter 21, verse uh, one through four. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in, cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he call, called upon his disciples and said to them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow has cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury, for all they did cast of their abundance. But she of her wanted cast in all that she had, even all her living. Oh, that was in Mark 12, chapters 41 to 44. Now, this is in Luke 21, uh, verse 1 to 4. And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow casting into thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than they all. For all of these have all their abundance cast into unto the offering of God. But she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. Very interesting how in the Bible you have it by the disciples, how they see the same thing and just make it a little bit different. You know, it's a very, it gives a very good like 3D picture. So this is what Alan Kardec says about that. And this is very true. And I was, to me, this was always an important part in the Bible because really it's, it's, it says a lot is the, is the percentage, right? The ratio of what you're giving and that includes time versus what you have. So many people think of these give money and it helps you out in, it's really, it's your time and what it means to you. Let's see what Alan Kardec says. Many people deplore the fact that they're unable to do all the good they desire to do to, due to a lack of financial resources. They would like to be rich in order, so they say, to be able to make good use of those funds. Their intention, no doubt, is laudable, and in some cases, even sincere. 
However, in the vast majority, is this desire totally disinterested? Will not will there not be those who, whilst wishing to do good for others, would also appreciate being able to begin by doing good to themselves? Of being in a position to offer themselves a few more pleasures or the enjoyment of something superfluous they lack. After this, then being quite ready to offer the poor what is left over. Now, I would say that's most of us. I mean, it's me included. I'm, I'm, you know, I keep thinking, well, you know, I like to, you know, have a little bit more money and, you know, have some more savings and all that. And then I could help people, but it also helped me. And so I'm, I'm totally guilty in that also. And of course, you know, that's something we have to work for. Which I should just be happy with what we, what, what I have. There's a very interesting study and they did, and they did the study about what people think that they have and what they need. And they asked people all the way from, from, and this was like a, uh, you know, fidelity investments or some investment bank. And these are people who had money in the bank. And so like maybe 25,000 or a hundred thousand retirement or a million or 10 million. Right. And they asked, each each kind of band of people who had wealth, what how much wealth do you really need? And it's very interesting. It tells a lot about our our human personality. Is the same answer came into each level. Everyone said they need twenty five percent more. If they just had twenty five percent more, they'd be happy. Of course, once you have the 25% more, then you need another 25% more. But, and of course, I don't blame them for this. And I'm, and I'm not saying I'm not like this myself is you just want that little, that little extra cushion because you could lose it all, right? I've lost bundles of money before and, you know, then you could lose it. And then at least then you'd be okay, right? Because there's always something. Of course, this is, this is kind of our, yes, as someone said, the more we have, the more we, we crave, right? There's, there's, it's never enough, right? That's another saying is, it's never enough. You always want more. And so if this is something that you can work on, is not always wanting more, this is important. Now, why is this important? Because always wanting more and having that cushion was extremely important when you were in on this primitive existence and even, you know, not that long ago, maybe even now for a lot of people. So you could survive because you may not have food, right? You may die in the winter if you did not get enough, you know, wood to heat you or, you know, flour or corn or rice to, you know, keep, keep your family fed. You were, you know, you were never sure that you would be taken care of. So, now, this has a lot of levels here. When you're a spiritist and you and you really get into the fact that you are on this predetermined track, know that your needs will be taken care of somehow. Now, I'm not saying sit back in your, in your lounging sit, share and, uh, and wait for the spirit world to knock on the door and deliver food and some money to you. No. As long as you do the effort, do what's right, you're not going to starve to death, right? You are going to be taken care of some way, unless that was something, uh, uh, you know, a episode that you asked for, 
who knows? There's always you know, anything I say. There's one can find exceptions, but the general rule is: once you understand where you're on Earth to really change your personality and character, that having 25% more is just not that important in the scheme of things. Because as you'll go through day by day, week by week, month by month, opportunities will open, other opportunities will close, but the doors that should be open to you will be open to you and your ability to make a living at the level that was planned for you will be in full force. That may mean that even if you save that extra 25% or somehow save millions, that that may be taken away from you because that was not part of your destiny. So have faith in what your destiny is and that you are being led down the path where you are, you're given the, the, the most efficient, you know, wonderful lesson plan to have you learn what you should learn. You know, I go back in my life and I've, you know, written a book, um, The Seven Tenets of Spiritism. And this is kind of one of my more personalized books about uh, spiritism. And I think about what, what I went through, right? You know, what was the path of my life? And of course, we think about the path of our life as we, you know, we really made decisions. And then we also know that, oh, you know, there was just some chaotic things. And like maybe the first job I got was, you know, out of the blue and I got lucky to get it. And then it put me on this career path to do this. Well, it's funny when I look back and I see the things that happen uh, is you can see once you analyze them in deeper, you can see where the spirit world put you where it needed to be. Let me give you just one example uh, from my book is I really, when I was in high school, my whole goal was to join the Air Force Academy. I wanted to be a, a pilot, but in my beginning of senior year and a junior year, all of a sudden, you know, I'd be out in the outfield and the ball was just like go over my head and I, and I started missing things. And then I finally found out, right, I need the glasses. Yeah, here I am with glasses. I've had them since I was like 17 or 18. So that, you know, that path to me that I wanted was closed. That, that was not going to happen. And so isn't that interesting? Said so it wasn't it wasn't just a random event that my eyes didn't work, uh, that I couldn't get into the academy. Now, interestingly enough, there was another effect that for, let's say for somehow I still went in there and and I could, you know, make it, you know, and my eyesight was good. I found out when when like a roller coaster or something doesn't really bother me, but I went into in these more modern rides at you know Disney World at the simulators. If there was equipment where I could control it, I was okay. But if I was in a simulator where I was just be thrown all around, I just I just I could not do it. My family just laughed at me when I walked out. I forgot what ride that was at uh, somewhere in Epcot and I was like shaking. I it's just unless I was in control of what was going on, I could not take that that you know rapid movement um so if even if i went into the academy i would have been washed out in good speed because i you know i would have been useless so those are things that tell us that we are given 
sometimes these are physical limitations, right? I was given physical limitations to not allow me to pursue a path that I wanted to. Why did I want to pursue that path in the first place when that wasn't part of my plan? Most probably that was because that was the type of path I pursued in the past. It felt comfortable to me. In fact, I have been told that I have worked and been in wars with people. You know, uh, when I went to the heating center, the guy who the, the, the Chico Montero said that we, you know, we, we fought together in World War I. And I don't know what exactly I did. I may have been an aviator. I don't know. And of course, that's what I wanted to do again. That was part of my instinct, right? Um, and I felt comfortable for that. And I enjoyed that lifestyle, may, you know, maybe. Most probably, I know, like when I was born, I probably must have died in that war. But that is that just shows you. So and as I've talked to other people where they've had limitations, um, you know, and they're not allowed, right? Because they may have been famous for a reason. Must, you know, they may have been a great, a famous uh, singer in the past. And then by using their fame, they used it incorrectly. And in this life, they're not going that break that they got the last life may never occur or they may be given certain limitations, which will not allow them to get into where they can actually become famous. So th these things happen. This is, this is, so this is why, um, it's like that poor widow who gave everything and she wanted to give that, but she did that because she's a wonderful person. She wanted to help others. She didn't think that, oh, I need more. She some, somehow this, this poor widow had more faith in God than the vast majority of us, certainly more than me. Could I do that and give, you know, give my whole salary that when I used to work and think, well, how am I going to make it? I, I, I wouldn't have, I probably still, I still would not do that, which shows, you know, how much more I need to grow. But she did. And so that's why it was a wonderful thing she did. So let me carry on with Alan Kardec. So the second thought behind the desire for chance concealed even from their own eyes, which would have to face if they scrutinize the depths of their heart, annuls all merit for the intention. This is of people that that only offer what to, to be seen, which is left over, right? They only offer what is easy to offer. So, so he goes, the sublimity of charity in this case would be for each one to seek within their work the necessary resources they lack to be able to realize their generous intentions by means of employing their strength, intelligence, and aptitudes. In doing so, they would be offering the kind of sacrifice most pleasing to the Lord. Unhappily, the majority live out their dreams about their lives, dreaming of ways and means of easily and quickly acquiring riches for themselves without any effort by running after foolish fancies like the discovery of buried treasure or lottery tickets or some favorable random chance. So, as he said, people like to have money and then people just like to write a check and then bingo, their conscience is clean, right? 
because they wrote a check and they go, oh, look at me. I, I gave to this to this group. No, no, it's not. It's still nice that they did this, but it's not a a true charitable thing. It's more it's more of charity to yourself to make yourself feel better. So and then Alan Kardec goes on. Those whose intentions are totally exempt from personal interest must console themselves with the knowledge that it is impossible to do all the good that could be wished and to remember the might of the poor taken from meager resources, which causes deprivation, but was weighs more on God's scales than the gold of the rich who give without depriving themselves of anything. The satisfaction of the former would truly be great if they could help all the destitutes on a large scale. But if this is denied them, then they must submit to the fact and limit themselves to what is possible. Furthermore, can tears be dried only with money? Should we remain inactive because we have no money? All those who sincerely wish to be of use to their fellow beings will find thousands of ways of helping. If you look for them, they will appear. If not in one way, then in another, because there is no one who, having full command of their faculties, cannot help someone, offer consolation, minimize both physical and moral suffering, or do something useful. While money may be lacking, we do we not all have time, work and hours of repose to spare, which we can offer to help others? This, too, is the alms of the poor, the widow's might. And that is very true. It's, it's really and for a lot of people, it's just taking time to listen to them. And which is, it was really hard for me to start doing that. You know, when I, and this is kind of being the aware part of, of your life, because there they will, there will people that come up to you, ask something, you know, maybe it's like directions or something. And, and, you know, and before I became a spiritist, even now, sometimes, because I, I concentrate and I focus on what I want to do. And I, and I, and I'm not aware of my surroundings. And I pass by opportunities to be helpful or kind to someone. And so I, I try and keep part of my brain always open saying, and, you know, and I can't help myself. I know that sometimes I just focus on something or I'm thinking about something and the rest of the world disappears to me. But I'm trying to, you know, cycle through and make sure that if I see someone like drop something, help them pick them up, right? And give that to the person, just little things. And I know for a lot of people, it's not easy and it's not easy for me. And that's why if you can kind of always look out, kind of make it a habit to look out the small things you can do for people. They don't have to be big, right? But just the small things, give someone a hand, help someone across the street, find out when they drop something, whatever. Whatever you can do, it makes a lot because that is your time. And that is that is real giving, right? Go to someone's house, mow their lawn, whatever you can do. That is that is a more giving than one of these rich people giving five million dollars to some organization. Because that is you is helping an individual, and that individual is going to then think that person helped me. What a nice thing. Now that, not only are you helping that person, you're also an example for the person you helped in the fact that you helped in a very nice manner. 
So let's go on what he said on. This is in Luke uh, chapter 14, verse 12 to 15. Then he said also to him that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and those shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And when one of them that sat at a mill with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So what does Alan Kardec say about that chapter from Luke? He says that Jesus tells us that when we prepare a feast, we should not invite our friends and relations, but instead the poor and the maimed. In their literal sense, these words appear to be absurd. But if we understand their spiritual essence, they are in fact sublime. It is, is it not possible that Jesus intended us to invite the maimed and beggars from the street to unite around our table instead of friends? His language was most always figurative as the people of those times were not capable of understanding delicate shades of thought. Therefore, it was necessary for him to use strong words which could produce colorful images. So again, this is this is again this is the great message of Spiritism, telling us that you know from the Old Testament to you know writings from you know Buddha, you know the you know Hindu, you know all the different writings there. Confucius is the writings come, and what the message is coming to the people of where they can understand at the time their culture and technology. And therefore, a lot of things what Jesus said to us, like, what? what? And now Alan Kardec is saying, okay, this is really what he's saying. So he's saying, don't, you know, he's not telling you to go, you know, say, forget you, friends. I'm inviting this smelly person off the street. No. So this is what Alan Kardec says. What is, you know, he's putting up these images, these vivid images. So I'll carry on with Alan Kardec said. Nevertheless, the essence of his thoughts is revealed in this sentence, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. This means that we should do that we should not do good for a calculated reward, but only for the pleasure to be felt in so doing. Using a striking comparison, Jesus says, invite the poor to your feast, because you know they cannot recompense you. By use of the word feast, we should understand not the actual eating, but a, participate, but a participation in the abundance generally enjoyed. However, the warning can also be applied in a more literal sense. How many of you invite to your table only those, as is said, will honor you or will return your invitation? On the other hand, there are others who find satisfaction in receiving friends and relations less fortunate than themselves. Well, how many amongst you have people like this in your family? In this way, a great service can sometimes be done without its showing. These people put into practice the teachings of Jesus without recruiting the blind and maimed, only if they do so with benevolence, without ostentation, and if they know how to simulate the benefit by means of sincere cordiality. So, again, this is important. So when he's saying, and I think this is the really the is, can you, when he's saying feast, can you do what you have in which you have an excess of that may just be time and maybe a general skill to help a certain 
type of person, then you will be recompensed, right? That is true charity. And that is not letting your left hand know what the right hand is doing because you're just doing something not because of anyone else, because you want to do it. There was this really interesting woman I was talking to and she had a near death experience. And I was telling her the story of this postman who had an after death experience. And he wrote, he wrote that, you know, that he doesn't, you know, when he had his after death experience, he became a more uh, powerful medium and he helped uh, veterans and he helped other people. He didn't charge him any money. And he, when he wrote in his experience, he says, I help other people, but you know what? Somehow the money comes when I need money, somehow that comes. I don't know how, but the money comes. And what I wrote about this man is I said, no, I said, there is a reason why that money comes because you are giving of yourself and of your time in the spirit world now is saying, this person is giving of himself. We're going to help him to do that. And when I was talking to her and she was saying, oh, she goes, well, you know, after my ND, I couldn't really work. But what I was doing, I was still helping veterans with their, you know, with their, their post-traumatic uh, syndrome. And he goes, what, what I was like, I forgot how long ago it was, but she goes, I was given a house to live in, but it was free. All I had to do was live in this house and make sure the park was okay. And I said, well, that's another, another instance where you giving of your time, even though you could not work, instead of you laying around feeling sorry for yourself, you went out and did what you could do considering, you know, the limitations of what happened to you. And, you know, even with those limitations, you tried to do your best to help others. In return, not only will you be rewarded, just like Alan Kardec says, when you, you know, when you return back to heaven, but you're also being facilitated in your ability to help others by having that house, living in that house for free. So these things happen. Somehow it's all tied in. So let's go on now. This is with uh, instructions from the spirits, material charity and moral charity. Love one another and do unto others what we wish they would do unto us. All that is religion and moral is contained in these two precepts. If they were observed in the, this world, then everyone would be happy and there would be no more hate or resentment. And of course, let me tell you, this is by uh, this is by Sister Rosalie. She wrote this to a mediums meeting in Paris, 1860. So there'd be no more hate or resentment. I go even further. There would be no more poverty because all the poor people would be fed from the, from the excess of the rich. Neither would poor women be seen dragging wretched children along the dark and sombre streets where I lived during my last incarnation. Those among you who are rich think on this for a while. Help to the best of your abilities all those who are less fortunate. And of course, we should read that. We should read that and say not just rich in money, but you know, rich in other skills, rich in time, rich on giving someone a a shoulder to cry on, rich in understanding. And she, she carries on, help to the best of your abilities, all those who are less fortunate. 
Give in order that one day God may recompense the good you have done. And so, on leaving your terrestrial body behind, you may encounter a host of grateful spirits who will receive you at the threshold to a happier world. And there's a great story in this. I know if, I'm sure a lot of people have seen or read the book No Solar. Uh, the movie No Solar is wonderful. In fact, think of the movie. I wanted to do one other thing is there is a movie on Netflix called Kardec. So if you haven't seen it, please go see it. It is, and it's just called Kardec after, of course, Alan Kardec. It's about his life and how he got into spiritism as I got off tangent by movie, but I want to remind people to do that. It's by the same director who, who directed the movie, No Solar, which you can rent. It's in Portuguese, but it's subtitled in English. It is one of the best movies. My wife and I, we watch at least once a year. A great movie. I recommend it to everyone. Of course, the book is a whole series of Andre Louise's books. But that's the first, so you should read that. Now, to get to charity and what people do and how that you're recompensed for that. So in the book, No Solar, Andre Louise, he was a famous physician. And he... Uh, he did charity work too. In fact, if, you know, he's really, he's, what a wonderful guy. And he self-depreciated himself by, you know, and it shows it really well in the movie where, you know, there's this lady waiting with her husband and he goes, oh, I'm done for the day. And his nurse says, look over there. He goes, oh, okay. Like a charity case he had to do. So, and of course he did it. Um, and so, and I'm sure he did it much nicer than that. It's just probably, how, you know, how humble. Uh, he is so interesting. He goes into, you know, he dies and he goes on no solar. And he, he's thinking, about, I wonder who, you know, who cares about me after I get who's thinking of me, who prays for me. And one of the few people is like, he was amazed, like, oh, well, no one's remembering me. And no one's thinking, oh, I loved him. Andre Louise, because that's his pen name, of course. And but the one woman who said, oh, I hope Andre Louise is, you know, is okay and everything was the wife of the husband who he helped for free. So again, that was a charitable act. And she actually prayed for him and wished him well. And, you know, and that gave him comfort, right? It does. Prayer, prayer is actionable. Prayer means something in, in the spirit world. So I just wanted to tell, tell that story. So that is, that's the end of our program. I hope everyone in, enjoyed that today. Uh, the, the, the Gospel According to Spirits is just a heck of a book. I love this book. And if you want to learn more, as I said before, really about Spiritism and how it's helped me personally, and like my own personal uh, journey, is the it's my book, The Seven Tenets of Spiritism, How They Impact Your Daily Life. And it really uh, is meant to be. I have this in Kindle and paperback, and also it's on audiobook for those who are interested. So I want to um, give everyone, of course, then the other one I want the people to read, of course, is the Spirits book. That is the headwaters of, 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 of Spiritism codified by Alan Kardec. I've talked to quite a few people lately. They started reading this and they're enjoying it. And of course, from there, they're going on to other and other things. But yeah, if there's one book I would recommend, read that one first. Now, the reason I wrote my books is everyone has different ways of learning. For some people that could, it's more, you know, it's, it's a little bit dry and 
that's not how you're you are so like some of my books is i try to take all this information and explain it in more modern terms i hope that helps and then of course then my my book my series of three heaven and below uh and spirits the spirit universe and how we are guided by spirits really tells us more that we're all about heaven the lower zones the, you know the dark abyss what is the spirit? What are the attributes of a spirit? How do we grow as a spirit? How you know? How do we go from one level of heaven to the next? How we are guided by spirits? What is the future of Earth? Those are things I I put into that series of three books, starting with Heaven Below. So anyway, I want to thank everyone for being here. I want to say you know hi. A lot of friends said hello. Um, I want to say hello back. I try to wait till the end because I don't want to interrupt unless someone really has you know. In, uh, a pertinent comment. I'm not saying your comments aren't pertinent, but then they're very thinking. I thank everyone who makes comments on this. Please share this video to uh, other Facebook sites. Come to uh, YouTube and uh, BitTube where I'll post this uh, later uh, today or tomorrow and comment, subscribe, ring the bell and share that from, from there too. So the more people we can expose to spiritism, I think the faster that our planet can leave being a planet of atonement to become a planet of regeneration. God bless all of you.